you brought your Bibles today, uh, turn to Luke chapter 1. If you didn't bring a Bible, grab one in the pew in front of you, and you can turn to page 855, just like I am. But This is the Sunday, if you're keeping track, the Sunday of joy. And as soon as I hear the word joy, it doesn't matter in what context, I immediately think, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Down in, very good. Does anybody not know the response to that? Is that song, like a, raise your hand if you're like, I have no idea what he just sang. It's okay, you don't be ashamed. I, I, I've always been curious as to whether or not that's just something that our churches do or if all churches do. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer way down in the depths of my heart. <laughs> good times, joy. Oh, good. I hope you feel joy this morning. If you don't, um, there's a lot of us probably that don't feel a lot of joy this morning. Sometimes we manufacture joy. We say, hey, it's time to rejoice, people. You've got about an hour and a half an hour you can go back to being grumpy. But right now, right now you have to be joyful. Joy um, is throughout the stories that we talk about with Christmas. I didn't highlight this last week. Uh, But it's a big part of John's story. The angel shows up to Zechariah. Zechariah falls on on his face. And he says, don't be afraid. Your prayer is answered. Your wife's going to bear a son. You're going to call him John. In verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness. Now, I cannot even fathom the joy that Elizabeth must have felt after all of those years of prayer to feel the baby move. I think that's the grossest feeling. (laughs) Laura would be like, you want to touch it? It's moving. I'm like, no, just when she comes out, I will hold her. And feel great joy. I feel joy when I hold my kids. It's like this indescribable, really sentimental, 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 Sentimental feeling, very not Jordany feeling that I get. Um, but I can't imagine how much joy Elizabeth and Zechariah must have felt. And it says in that verse, many will rejoice at his birth. That John's birth is not just a coming of joy for Zechariah and Elizabeth. God wants to, to reach out and to bless us individually. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to rejoice. But he wants that joy to expand out. And it suddenly hit me just as I was thinking about joy, just as kind of an aside. I thought to myself, what an immense difference it would make if all of the children that are apart or connected to this church. So whether or not, maybe they aren't your children, maybe they're your grandchildren, maybe they're your, your nieces and nephew and you're really involved in their lives. So maybe there's some neighborhood kids that you just, you just love on and you give them Christmas gifts and they're kind of like part of your family. What would it look like if we told kids over and over and over again, God gave you to us so that other people would rejoice at your presence. Because we spend a lot of time filling kids up their own self-esteem. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, you belong, you're special, God loves you, and all of that is, of course, true. But isn't it interesting that immediately, as soon as joy is declared over Zechariah and Elizabeth and little John the Baptist, it turned immediately back out to the world. What if we told all of those little kids who are going to run around and face plan, and we laugh at them, and we pick them up? <laughs> happened earlier. Um, and we say, you are meant for the rejoicing of the world. That's what you're destined for. I think we would have a different kind of kid. Nevertheless, we move into the story of 
of uh, Jesus. And Jesus' coming, of course, is the great fulfillment of the joy, the hope of the world. And in verse 26, I want to read the next few verses here, 26 through 33. If you want to look at your scriptures and follow along, I'll read this, uh, this section. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Which is kind of funny, isn't it? Like an angel shows up and you're wondering why his greeting is strange. Isn't like the angel showing up the strange bit? I just feel like that's the thing that would be most surprising and troubling to me. Mary's like, hmm, no one's ever greeted me like that before. It's just really funny. Some pity laughs. I appreciate that. Verse 30, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him, and here's the bit that we're going to focus on for the next few minutes. Give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We sang earlier, as we started out, joy to the world, for the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We frequently focus on Jesus and his power, ability, the completion on the cross and resurrection that saves us from our sin. But it saves us from our sin because he is king. Like, the king bit is the most important. Everything else flows out of that. The fact that he is the king of kings and the lord of lords, the fact that he rules over heaven and earth, the fact that he is the judge, the jury, and the executioner, the fact that he is beginning and end, the fact that all things were made through him, by him, for him, that all things might go back to him, all of that kingliness that we see in that manger, all of that, we sometimes forget all of that. And we think about our own sin. But today I want to highlight this, that this one who is to come is going to be the king. And he is going to, through his kingship, redeem us from all our enemies. Save us from all our enemies. Jesus literally means Yah saves. Yahweh saves. God saves. He is the one that has come. Emmanuel, God with us. That all of our enemies, our our physical enemies, our spiritual enemies, Satan, uh, death itself, our own sin, our own inabilities, all of that might be crushed crushed under his boot, that he might be Lord of all. That's good news. That's good news. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. The prophets talk about this in many places, but I want to give you one uh, that is directly pulled here from Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. And to him that is the one that's to come, so Daniel's speaking kind of toward the future, the one that's to come, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. His kingdom is coming to supplant all other kingdoms. Paul talks about it this way, that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess 
in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that all of the powers of the world, and you can stick anything you want in. You can stick the bully at school. You can stick the bully in the home. You can stick the bully in a White House or in any other position of power, in the CEO's office, whatever it is. You can stick anyone in there and say, God is going to crush them, and they will bow before him. From the great to the small, all will bend their knee. We use this word Lord, and it is not arbitrary. It is not an honorific title. It is not platitudes. It is a statement of reality. God is coming, and with him comes judgment. So as we cast our mind forward, not just thinking of the manger scene, but thinking of the cross and the resurrection and that second great coming which comes ever closer to us, we think of the words of Revelation, which bring forward a vision of what Jesus will do when he comes. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, hearkening back to Psalm chapter 2. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh is written a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And this is the most Christmas passage I could think to share with you. Which stands out maybe bizarrely to us. But if we forget that the king is coming again, we forget all of the meaning of Christmas. It isn't a time just to feel good about ourselves. It isn't just a time to hug our family. It isn't just a time to say, oh, well, isn't that nice? Sweet baby Jesus came to save him from our our sins. Yes, all of those are good things. All of those are true. But if the king is not coming to reign, it is not good news. And the king is coming to reign. And so it is inherently both good news and really terrible news. It is good news for those who have chosen to hear. Those who have had the ear, who have, who have fallen to their knees prior to his coming, who have said, yes, you are Lord. Yes, I will worship you. Yes, I will bow before you. Yes, I will walk in your ways. For them, the coming of Jesus is good news because it means all of the things that I've been imperfectly... Because we. How many of you have had an imperfect Christian week? Oh, thank goodness. I thought I was alone for a moment. I said it kind of weird, so you're like, I'm not sure. Wait, what? Like, we want, we want to walk in God's ways, but we, we fail really terribly at it. It's really hard to do. But when Jesus comes, everyone will live righteously. Imagine that. No longer will we have to have the same kind of struggles of what do I do and how do I deal with these problems and these sins because before us will be the glory of the living God, his righteousness emanating out of him. And we'll experience it and see it and live it. That's beautiful, wonderful news. But for those people who look upon Jesus and his ways, who look upon the message of the cross and they say, that's foolishness. I only believe what I see with my eyes and what I can live with right now, what I can experience in the flesh, all of that, there is bad news. There is terror at the coming of the king. It's imperative that we have a rich and thick understanding of that manger scene, of that nativity. Because it needs to be more than just feel good. I love feel good. When we sang, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, and y'all were singing along, I got the feels, guys. I got the feels. We fired up Frosty the Snowman last night. I got the feels. I love it. Put up the Christmas tree, Jack. I'm the same way, only I'm not particular. Well, I am sort of particular. We build 
scenes with our spaceships. So the, the Starship Enterprise is chasing the Klingon warbird and things. So I am a little bit particular. I set it up. I get the feels. I get it. But the feels have to have real-world consequence. Otherwise, it's just feels. That's not good news. Feelings come and go. What we need is justice. What we need is righteousness. What we need is life. And the life has come. The light of mankind has come. Joy has come. And I can't talk about joy without talking about the news out of China this week. How many of you saw that? A few of you, because you reposted what I posted. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Can I get a witness and a like? <laughs> I'm really joking. Uh, this came out of, um, on a far more serious note, um, this came out of China. About 100 members of the Early Reign Covenant Church, I can't pronounce that word, in China, were arrested. And this man, uh, Brother Yi, um, was the minister there. And uh, we know some of them have been released and they experienced torture. Um, and uh, Brother Yi, as I will call him, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right, uh, wrote a letter that was to be released 48 hours if, after 40, if he'd been in, detained for longer than 48 hours because he might not come out again. And I couldn't let this opportunity pass us by without reading his words. And I want you to look for the word joy. So here are some of them. I mean, it is a longer letter, so I just cut it down a little bit. I can give you the full thing if you want. But here he says, Wicked rulers are the judgment of God on wicked people. The goal being to urge God's people to repent and to turn toward him. And for this reason, I am joyfully willing to submit myself to their enforcement of the law as those submitting to the discipline and training of the Lord. My Savior, sorry, I'm getting the feels now. My Savior Christ also requires me to joyfully bear all costs for disobeying wicked laws. If I am in prison for a long or short period of time, if I can help reduce the authorities' fear of my faith and of my Savior, I am very joyfully willing to help them in this way. And now this next paragraph, which doesn't mention joy, but is maybe the most convicting thing I have ever read in my entire life. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. And what should our attitude be, brothers and sisters, to those people? Should we hate them, revile them? He says, when I think of this, the Lord fills me with a natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom that I might take the gospel to them. Jesus is the Christ, son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant and I am imprisoned because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. That's his last paragraph, signed, the Lord's servant. Wang Yi, I think is how I pronounce his name. 
That's something, isn't it? When we look at the manger scene, we see the God who commands this kind of faithfulness. I was drawn to this story because of a tweet. I'm going to give you that because it's funny and sad and funny sad. Here's the headline, the prominent Chinese uh, pastor whose church. um, Meanwhile, yesterday, prominent American pastor gives wife 220,000 Lamborghini for anniversary. Now, there's a lot to say. But this is the word I want you to focus on. Perspective. Perspective. The holidays are difficult for some of us. Holidays can be very difficult. A time where uh, old wounds come out. Um, Many of you brought in a lot of baggage this morning. A lot of things that you're carrying with you. A lot of suffering. And if you aren't right now, give it a day or two. And will show up. But it doesn't look like that, does it? Our sufferings are light in comparison with this. And I don't know that that makes us feel better about them. But nevertheless, I see that faithfulness. And when we inhabit such stories, when we see such heroism, when somebody asks us, who is your hero? And you answer, brotherly ye, out of China. And they say, who is that? And you say, that is a man who took his faith into imprisonment so that he could preach to his jailers the saving message that the king is come and coming again. That's a hero. And that's what we are to live up to in whatever small way we can. And that's what we see in the story of Mary, isn't it? I mean, the angel comes to her, not to sell her short, let her be overshadowed by Brother Yi. The angel comes to her and says, you're going to be with child. And she says, how is that possible? I'm not married. And he says, with God, all things are possible. And she says what? In our text. Verse 38, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now what does Mary risk? Everything. And what we can know about her is that while certainly she did not die and some of the more extreme consequences of the law were not brought against her, she certainly wore the red letter for a long time. And I think about her faith in this moment, and I think as I said it against Zechariah, remember Zechariah from last week? The priest serving in the temple of all people who are holy and righteous and good and get it all right. It should be the priest serving in the temple, right? And yet Zechariah has a hard time believing that he and his wife can come together and have a child. And Mary has no problem believing the Lord can spontaneously create a child in her now I, 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 I was struck by that for a moment I was struck how is it that, that Zechariah did not immediately respond in faith especially seeing an angel Right? he's had how many more years of, of Christian development of Bible studies of prayer meetings of conferences of sermons of songs how many more years of faith building events has he gone through and yet the 16 year old gets it right where he gets it wrong what happened life happened didn't it because I look at my own faith and it pales in comparison to my daughter's Because I know how the world works. 
And how does the world work? Well, it doesn't work like that, God. And so, frequently, I think that life trains us out of faith. Through a thousand tiny razor cuts of reality, the radicalness that we came to this faith with is bled out of us. And so let us look at Mary, Jesus, Brother Yi, and let us flout the impossible. Let us be the people who remember that our God is not limited by what we think is doable. Let us remember that we live in a world made, sustained, and continually affected by the God of the universe who is stretching out even now into our lives and working his hand, working wonders, working things all around us, and that God is not limited by how the world works. Rather, God is excited and waiting to do something unthinkable in your life. What I would love for us to do this week, what is it that you don't think God can do? What is it that you don't think? Yeah, so I, one, of my, one of my favorite stories, and I'll, I think I'll hold on to this and, until I'm dead, but my favorite stories about raising children, I'm in Emery's room, or we're in Emery's room, I can't remember now, how it all transpired, but it's late at night, Emery's feeling sick, and we do what good Christian parents do. What do good Christian parents do? Pray about it, pray about it. And so Emery does. She prays the most naive prayer that I've ever heard in my life. God, make me feel better. Amen. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm filled with the feels. I feel it. I'm like, oh, that's so beautiful. That's so lovely. Get a bucket, Laura. Because I know how the world works. And you either got the stomach bug or you don't. And she lays down and goes to sleep. And she doesn't yak, just by the way, just so you know. We are so trained because we are so used to how the world works. And I want to suggest to you that everything that we read in this Christmas story says to you that's not really how the world works. That there is a God who is seeking to invert the rebellion of the world, which we might say is how the world works. The world is in rebellion against the living God, and yet God has stepped in fundamentally in Jesus Christ, and then through his death and his resurrection and his ascension, passing on the Holy Spirit to us that we might be indwelled by the very power of God so that when you pray, God hears. When you pray, God acts. And it is our lack of faith that limits God, not God's power, And so what do you believe God cannot do? God can't free me from this addiction. God can't bring this person to faith. God can't heal this sickness. God can't, I don't know, whatever it is for you. And I want you to step out in faith this week. And I want you to remember all of the stories that we have told today. And I want you to inhabit them. I want them to be real to you. And I want them to be in you something that bursts out in prayer that says, God, do the impossible. God, act. God, move. And recognize that the righteousness of our life impacts that. What does James say? The prayer of the righteous person availeth much for your King James for the day. 
It does a lot. It's powerful. And so let these things bear fruit in us. Let these stories bear fruit in us. Let these things not be the feels, but let them be the feels that lead us to action, to doing, to praying, to moving. There's joy all over this, and it's joy because God is moving, and the more you see God moving in your life, the more joyful you will be. So pray that God moves. We see the inversion of how the world works in Mary's song. The story goes that she goes and visits Elizabeth, and as soon as Elizabeth hears her voice, John the Baptist in the womb gives her a good, strong kick in the guts. Leaps for joy, the text says. And then Elizabeth shouts out, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, which has to be the strangest greeting anybody's received, opening the door. She just yells in her face. And Mary's overcome with joy, too, because she knows that God is moving. She knows there are real-world consequences. She knows that suffering is on the way. She knows there's all kinds of things that are, that are looming in the distance, but there is joy in the moment because God is moving. And she breaks forth, and I like to think that it is in a song, but maybe it's just a statement. But either way, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation, and he has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the throne and he has exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever and ever. And what we see in this text, what we see in this naive little song is that God does not care how the world works. He makes the world. He makes it. The inversion we see at work here, the throne, the mighty, the rich, the powerful, these are brought down. And those who are, those who are here, who are lowly and humble, he brings up so that before him might be one great people of faith. And so, Take hold of those stories. And here is my last bit of advice. Be a Mary in a Zechariah world. Be a Mary in a Zechariah world. See what God is up to and challenge that which is with that which should be. And be like Mary. And so that would be the application. That's my call to you. Pray with boldness. Let these stories make something in you. Let the faith that you see be the faith that you too grab and take with you into your homes and businesses and all the places you are to go this week. Be people of blessing. Be people of prayer. Be people for the world. Be people who bring peace. Be people who look like Jesus. As we come to a conclusion... Uh, We'll have our elders off to the side here. And if you have a bold prayer, you need someone to pray with you. Uh, They would love 
to be a part of that. They would love to pray with you. Uh, and so that's an opportunity that's there for you. If you, if you uh, need somebody to pray with you, let's now stand and sing.